You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And what a busy weekend in Gainesville, and what a busy episode of Gators Breakdown we have here. The Gators get three commitments for the class of 2020. You'll also get to hear from Gators quarterback commit Anthony Richardson as he prepares for the Elite 11. And Gators wide receiver great Chris Doring joins me here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. And we'll get into all that in no time. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Uh, more coverage of Anthony Richardson training here in Jacksonville with Denny Thompson. And uh, like I said, we'll get into that, but uh, News for Jack has you covered there as well. Uh, but also, catch Gators Breakdown on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify. When using those services, please share, rate, review, subscribe to the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown so as mentioned earlier the Gators get three commitments for the class of 2020 some expected and then one big surprise to cap it all off uh, Lamar Goods, Travez Johnson, Derek Wingo pledged to the Gators uh, many of you see the uh, see and enjoy the quote we gotta commit tweet I send out with the pick of Dan Mullen uh, when he was coming out of the plane today he was announced as far as head coach and you know it was uh it, it, it was a fun weekend that, that started Friday evening uh, with a commitment of defensive tackle Lamar Goods. And little did I know I'd be uh, you know, kind of tweeting uh, that, uh, that Dan Mullen tweet with the we got to commit a couple more times throughout the weekend. But look, as far as Lamar Goods goes, uh, this, this is one we were expecting after his visit last weekend and then, and then his subsequent, subsequent decommitment from Kentucky uh, Goods. Uh, on the 24-7 sports composite is coming in at 6'6", 290 pounds, four-star defensive tackle from Oakdale, Connecticut. And his tweet that he sent out when uh, he made the commitment to Florida is, I want to say thank you to everyone and all the teams that were willing to invest time in me during this recruiting process. I want to also thank my mom, who has been my inspiration throughout my entire life. I also want to thank everyone in the city of Fort McMurray, who has supported me throughout this journey. With that said, I want to announce that I will be completely shutting or closing my recruitment and committing to the University of Florida. To the swamp we go. He's rated the 334th best player in the 2020 class, the 31st overall defensive tackle. Uh, he played in Canada before last season. Uh, he comes in with a good haul so far on the defensive line for the Gators with Gervin Dexter uh, and Johnny Brown already committed as well. Dexter is the number one rated defensive tackle in the state of Florida. Brown the third. 
Now you're adding goods to this mix, and the Gators are really getting quality players at a big position of need. Probably looking at goods as, as more the traditional defensive tackle type, but you'll see you'll see these guys get slotted in and being the versatile uh, defensive line players for you know defensive tackle, strong side defensive end. Uh, good shows some good quickness in getting upfield, and, and while maybe seen more as a run stuffer, ha- has that athleticism to get into the backfield as well. And I also with this, I want to go back a couple weeks ago and then the commitment of of Warren Brinson to Georgia over Florida we were led to believe it was a Florida Georgia battle that Florida had a great chance and many people out there even picking Florida to be uh, his commitment choice and he chose the Bulldogs well if you want to go by you know the rankings and we do a lot here and when we look at recruits here and Brinson is the 333rd ranked player in the nation goods the 334th one spot difference so you're basically getting the same style of player the same style of player if you want to go by what the rankings say so yeah florida lost out on brinson but if you but you're getting basically the same player if you want to go by what the 24 7 sports composite ratings show us so a one spot difference uh, if people want to sit there and, and nitpick and pick and choose go right ahead uh, but one of the leading recruiting services out there basically say these two guys are the same player so yes you lost out on brinson but you got good just a couple weeks later and that's say uh, you know a pretty good pretty good uh win-win uh, for the gators there one other thing on this commitment and you know, we've been hearing pretty good reviews uh and comments from uh, for the new defensive line coach, David Turner. And this was his first big target to come into the fold. Uh, this will be something to watch going forward as recruits seem to be taking to his approach and, and experience. There's some other targets along the defensive line like Timothy Smith, Zacavius Walker, Miles Murphy, Kedrick Bingley-Jones to watch out for here. You know, and hopefully, you know, Turner pulls some more of those guys in there too. But some of the early returns as far as uh, commits go and a lot of their interviews after visits uh, really speak to uh, the type of work Turner is doing here. Second commitment of the weekend comes on Saturday. And cornerback Travez Johnson out of Bartram Trail High School in Jacksonville, three-star, 5'11", 175-pound cornerback, really impressed the staff last week while playing in 7-on-7 at Florida uh, and earned an offer, uh, came back for a visit this weekend and committed to the Gators. And his uh, tweet he sent out uh, says, quote, first, I would like, uh, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior for giving me the ability to do what I love and for blessing my family with amazing opportunities. I want to thank my coaches, my teammates, my friends, and anyone else who has helped me get to this point. Special thank you for my family for supporting me over the years and being with me every step during the process. I also want to thank every coach that gave me an opportunity to play at their school. With that said, I want to announce that I am, that I am committing to the University of Florida. From Trevez Johnson there, and what we could see from him is he could play cornerback or safety uh, as the hundred and the 1,685th ranked player in the country, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, 114th ranked safety, 216th ranked player in the state of Florida. He's one player I would expect to rise a little bit as he plays his senior season. Uh, camp reviews have, have kind of led you know, me to think that he'll, he'll get a bump uh, coming up a little bit. Not sure how much, but some is expected. He's been clocked. 
uh, like a 4.540 on the 24-7 sports profile, uh, but uh, out there also to believe that he had ran a 4.41 40-yard dash. Uh, and probably gonna, going to fit in that star nickel role, according to him in a report by Swamp 24-7. So you know, that means the staff can see him cover and also be that physical style of defensive back. So those were the two, Goods and Johnson, that were kind of expected uh, over the weekend. And then Saturday afternoon rolls around, and uh, I'm trying to enjoy some pool time with, with the family. My phone's blowing up, so you know, start following up and making calls and find out that um, you know linebacker tar- target uh, Derek Wingo made a surprise visit uh, to campus, and something may be happening. And and then he ends up. We all saw it. We of course remember it. Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon, uh, that he ends up flipping from Penn State uh, to Florida. Uh, in the evening hours, and you know, this is a big one. This is a big get from from linebackers coach Christian Robinson. Wingo is from from St. Thomas Aquinas, rated a four-star recruit, 165th ranked player in the nation, the 11th outside linebacker in the state of Florida's 24th ranked prospect. Uh, he also, of course, went on to a, a, a Twitter and shared his message as well. Uh, I would like to thank Coach Franklin and the entire Penn State staff for giving me an opportunity. And I am thankful for all the relationships that have been built between friends and fans. At this time, I feel that I need to make the best decision for me and my family and decommit from Penn State University. Some people do not understand how hard it is or how hard it can be to make a college decision at such a young age, realizing that one choice will affect the rest of your life. With that being said, I would like to officially shut down my recruitment and announce that I am 100% committed to the University of Florida. And even before this commitment happened, I can tell you that this decision was not made lightly. Uh, and I'll get into that uh, a little bit in, in sharing an article uh, by Mark Wheeler in Inside the Gators there. But even uh, I've been talking behind the scenes about Wingo for a little while uh, around the program. And, and this decision did not come lightly. There was a lot of thought put behind this. It was not an easy decision. Uh, there to, to decommit from Penn State or flip from Penn State to Florida. Uh, you know, Florida had their work cut out for him uh, there, and, and, uh, and Wingo fell in love with the University of Florida at some point. And uh, you know, that's uh, you know, this, this decision just didn't come lightly. And great work by this uh, by the staff here. So you know, even though uh, you know he he was committed to Penn State, Florida kept on him, kept on him, kept on him, and eventually uh, the flip happened. You know, there there were there were going to be some low key visits from him, so Florida you know was going to have every chance to make this flip happen, and, and they came through. Florida gets their first linebacker commitment uh, of the 2020 class. Uh, and you kind of go back to what we didn't know about Wingo. He earned first-team All-State honors last season as he accounted for 12 tackles for loss, six sacks. Uh, what you see on the highlights out there is, you know, is an outside linebacker type that can put his hand in the dirt or stand up on the edge and get the backfield fast. Uh, and once he gets there, watch out <laughs> because he gets there violently. He shows great pursuit to the ball, showed some cover skills uh, as well in some of those highlights. And he, he reminds me a lot of Hassan Joseph uh, at the same time in their careers. It's the exact same size when Joseph was a prospect coming into Florida, and Wingo plays with, with that type of violence. So, 
you know, discussing with, with Harrison Tenzer. Some of you people out there uh, may know him. He's out there on Twitter uh, as well. He knows the St. Thomas Aquinas and, and South Florida area well, uh, the recruiting world down there. And he, he was telling me last season was Wingo's first uh, first year as a, as a full-time linebacker and then went on to say that his commitment could turn into a domino effect because Wingo, uh, you know, will be at some big camps in Atlanta and Dallas and he'll be recruiting his tail off. Uh, for the Gators. So kind of as I mentioned earlier, you know, for more on what went on behind the scenes of, of Wingo's commitment to Florida, I can't say enough about what Mark Wheeler and the Inside the Gator staff put together. Uh, they let Derek Wingo's mother, Carrie Ann Wingo, share their experience uh, of Derek flipping from Penn State to Florida and how, and how there was a lot of care and thought from Derek and family in making the pledge to the Gators, and I don't want to—I don't want to steal their thunder for a great piece. So you know, head over there uh, to Inside the Gators uh, for a free look into what went on behind the scenes, and, you, and you'll see why both staff and, and Wingo family deserve kudos uh, for a tough decision there. So, of course, you know, with three new commitments and a busy weekend, it kind of seems for a lot of college teams out there. Uh, you know, the commitments were happening left and right. So you had some Miami getting some commitments as well. Uh, this is, you know, right before the dead period starts. You're going to see uh, a, a whole lot of commitments going down. So, of course, you, know, you want to look at where Florida is at. As we see here, uh, as I'm recording this, June 23rd, uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, like I said, you're going to probably have some more commitments coming along the way uh, as well. But as of right now, as I said, late June, uh, Gators come in at 8 in the 24-7 sports rankings with 16 commits, 8 four-stars, 8 three-stars, and uh, kind of makes it up there one spot barely behind Miami, who has two more commitments than Florida right there. So that's the main difference. They basically have the same overall score in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, team rankings, and you know, pretty much along the same lines there. South Carolina at number 9. Uh, with 14 commits, uh, not too far uh, there. So I won't get into a whole list of rankings, but you know, just kind of know Florida's at eighth right now with 16 commitments, uh, kind of neck and neck with Miami uh, right now. But uh, Florida with an average of 89.75, and Miami with an average of 88.68. So while we're on the 2020 class, Anthony Richardson is here in Jacksonville training with Denny Thompson at Six Points Quarterback Training. And that's where News 4 Jack sports anchor and reporter Brian Jackson was able to catch up with the Gators quarterback commit as he's taking this summer to improve his game. Uh, what is it that you hope to maybe tweak or add to your game over, the, I guess, the, this time in between spring ball and the start of fall camp? Uh, just overall learning how to properly become a better quarterback because I'm not really a polished quarterback as well as others, but uh, just working on mechanics, arm movement, footwork, stuff like that. Uh, when you get to Elite 11, what is it that you hope to learn about yourself? Uh, just how well I can I can go, uh, how well I can process everything, just compete with others. Now, uh, Denny was saying that this game is, uh, this time of the year is more mental, almost more than like physical. So uh, what types of things has he kind of shown you in the classroom that'll kind of help you out on the field come this fall? Uh, just basically how I can take take things in, just everything that I've been learning, just taking it in and seeing how well I can process it and just do it, basically. Uh, when you get a chance to compete against uh, 
Jeff and all these other guys and Carson here. Uh, what is it that you guys kind of, how are you guys able to kind of raise each other's game? Uh, just, just by watching each other do, do what we do. Because Jeff and Carson, they are great quarterbacks. So I try to be as best as I can be as well as they are uh, just by doing the simple things that they're doing. Obviously, you guys are kind of competing here. Uh, how do you turn that switch from going from, I guess, being friends and competitors to when you get to Elite 11? Because then you're going to be really trying to beat these guys. How do you kind of turn that switch? Uh, you just got to know when, when's the right time to do it because there's a time to be friendly. There's a time to be competitive. So you just got to know when to do it and how to do it. Now, obviously, you're committed to Florida and he's going to Georgia. I mean, even though you guys aren't there yet, you know, have you kind of had a chance to kind of daydream? Like, wow, man, maybe one day you'll be on the sideline looking at kids, you know, competing against this guy. Yeah, a couple of times I talked to my mom about it. She always says, oh, my God, you're going to be playing against Jeff and Carson soon. I was like, yeah, it's, it's going to be crazy. So I, I think about it sometimes. And now, why do you feel like this area specifically has been able to breed so many quarterbacks? I mean, this is one, I mean, we're within, what, 75 miles and – you're the top quarterbacks in the entire country are within this one area. What do you think it is about this area that kind of breeds great quarterbacks? Uh, I guess it's just the mindset of each and every quarterback in the state of Florida. It's just the dog mindset and knowing how to compete and grind. Thanks to Brian Jackson for getting us that interview. And there's a lot to be excited about when, when it comes to Anthony Richardson being a uh, quarterback for the Gators. Uh, I'm going to go back and play an interview with Richardson, Richardson's trainer, Denny Thompson, uh, that we had just a couple months ago and his thoughts on the potential of Richardson. Base level talent, baseline talent is beyond elite. It's, it's I, I actually, I may have even tweeted this, I don't know. I don't remember, but whenever I had him and Carson and Jeff on the same day, and along with you know at Elite Eleven, along with some of the one of some of the best quarterbacks in this area, I thought from a baseline standpoint, meaning just raw, I thought he was the most talented guy there. Um, good guy, hard worker, you know, really good kid. A lot of stuff to work on, and 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 I have actually been we've been texting quite a bit since then, and we're 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 trying to trying to get to work on some of that stuff, but. Um, the the future for that young man is like so crazy bright, Dave. He is he's come so far in the in the last year, and and he works so hard, and he's got an old school mentality of his, he's he doesn't get out there and talk. He just works, man, and and he's a fun kid to be around. Um, I think I think Florida's always, I think that I think there's a big misconception out there in. Florida Twitter or Florida social media that sort of backed off of him when they started recruiting Carson. That is not, that's not true. Thank you. I, I, I said it this morning as well. So I'm glad somebody else could put it out there too. They, they didn't back off. Yeah. They did not back off. I, I saw it with multiple eyes. Like, I mean, I was there at junior day and it's not, it's you. There were certain times that I was wondering, do they, you know, which one do they like more? Because they were, Completely equal, if not if if not spending more time with Richardson that day. So I, I don't think that that is that is a complete falsehood that they backed off. I don't know, and I didn't ask him, and I'm not going to ask it because I don't get involved much to what people want to tell other tell other people about me. <laughs> I, I don't get involved with this stuff at all. I, my job is is just simply that wherever they go, they're the best they can possibly be. That's 
that's my job. They've got a, a potential Heisman candidate there. I, I, I'm excited to work with that young man. i really excited to work with him. And, um, and, and I think he's special. As you can tell, Denny really likes what Richardson brings to the table. I reached out to him, reached out to him again uh, as you know, training is ongoing, and he's around Richardson a, a bit more. And Denny went on to say, quote, I'm super high on Anthony. The more I've gotten to see him, the more I like the kid. So, you know, look, I, I know the loss of, of Carson Beck stung a little, and in 2021 quarterback target Brock Vandegrift uh, just recently committed to Oklahoma, but Florida's in good hands here uh, when it's come when it's coming to quarterbacks and, and Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson, uh, what they bring to the table as coaches and what they have in Emory Jones now and Anthony, Anthony Richardson coming in. Sure, we'd like to get the highly rated prospect here, but much like I've been saying kind of about the offensive line, and there's a lot of trust here for what the staff is able to develop, and it's not like they're just settling uh, at quarterback. They've actively actively recruited and identified these kids that they'd like to build an offense around, and I think we as fans can feel uh, pretty comfortable uh, about that and, and where the position is heading under Dan Mullen. So let's shift focus to the 2019 Gators. Gators wide receiver, great and SEC network analyst Chris Doring joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Chris, let's start. Uh, what's the difference? You know, year two compared to year one. Uh, what broad improvement should we expect? You know, as the coaches and the players know each other going into year two. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I I think there's more of a relationship between coaches and and roster. Uh, I think there's there's more of a relationship. More guys that were actually recruited by this staff. I think the biggest thing. I mean, just it, when a new staff comes in. You have to learn how to do everything over again. Not only how to practice, but how to stretch. How you do, how you go through your pregame uh, routine. What to expect from um, in-game uh, communication. I mean, there's so many different things that are unknowns when you're just kind of getting acclimated. And I think I think you saw as the season wore on last year. I, I think you saw more of that starting to pay dividends where the players had a better comfort level for what they were doing schematically. They had a better comfort level for knowing, you know, how to, how to interact and what the expectation level is of the coaching staff. And I think vice versa too. I think the coaching staff knew the, the, the roster a little bit better and could put them in even better situations for them to be successful and continue to minimize those deficiencies. So I think all of those things are things that I look forward to. I just a greater comfort, with um, each other and a greater comfort with uh, managing the roster and, and, the, uh, and those guys that, that are going to be filling some of the, the big holes that were left by guys that, that, that moved on to the next level last year. Now, we do know something different from year one is how they're going to handle expectations. Florida will go into the season a top-10 team and having to handle and live up to some expectations that they have going into this season. Yeah, it's quite a, quite a different situation from last year coming off a four and seven season and, and people, yeah, I think there was a level of expectation. And sometimes when you have too much success too soon, that expectation can get out of whack. And I think that's one of the things that I, I, I kind of want Gator fans to say cautiously optimistic about is, Hey, they did win 10 games last year, but there was a lot of close games that could have gone either way. Florida found a way to, to win those close games. Sometimes those th- things don't necessarily break your way. Uh, from year to year, so uh, there's so many variables that you can't control from, from you know the, the the breaks that do go your way or don't go your way, injuries and how that affects your your roster. Um, but for me, I, I think the thing that I, I I worry about a little bit is that you could see an improved team. There could be 
um, a, a marked improvement offensively, defensively, and it may not reflect necessarily in wins and losses. So um, it, winning 10 games in the SEC is a tough task to do, and not to mention the fact the non-conference schedule with, with Florida State and Miami kind of bookending the season makes it even more challenging. Chris, uh, a lot of Gator fans out there like to compare Steve Spurrier and Dan Mullen, of course, the way they kind of go out there with the media and maybe troll some opponents and, and maybe just kind of how they act, uh, uh, just kind of sim- similar similar ways out there. Uh, how was Spurrier with the expectations? We knew, you know, eventually it kind of wore on him toward the end of his tenure at Florida. But when you know, when you were there, it was early in his tenure, mid mid his tenure. Uh, how did he handle, you know, the the going into a season ranked top five, t- top ten? I'm sure you guys were aware yeah. of it, but did he did he ever really bring it up all that much? Well, it was it was interesting because you know I was there. My first year was '91. Uh, he got there in '90. And so I was there for the rise of the program and, and reaching feats that we had never accomplished before, the 91 uh, first official SEC championship, getting to the SEC championship game in 1992, winning our first SEC championship in 93, that expectation growing. And I, I remember um, being a team that, that everybody labeled as, as, as roadkill. You know, they go on the road, they get away from the swamp, they can't win uh, the same way they do at home. Well, they, we, we, we were able to overcome that. Um, and, and just one thing after another, it was about breaking barriers. And I remember, I remember in, in preseason camp, the 94 season, um, word came out that we were going to be the preseason number one team. And it was, it, was, it was something brand new. It was something we haven't had to deal with before the expectation level. And I think, um, I don't know that we, you know, I, I think we handled it fine, but I, I think we got better at those things as we, we got the experience and maybe even failed. I mean, I think part of what made our, our program what it was and ultimately winning the national championship were some of those failures along the way. It was was losing to Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl after the 91 season. was losing to Alabama in the 92 national uh, SEC championship. It was losing to Nebraska in the 95 national championship. And I think Coach Burry was one of the best uh, at uh, taking something positive from those losses and making tweaks to allow, you know, the growth of the team to take place and, and, and not have those, you know, Nick Saban talks a lot, let's, let's don't wait, don't, let's don't waste uh, an opportunity, you know, don't waste a, a loss. And I think that's one thing we did very well was, was learn from our mistakes and become a better program as a whole because of what Coach Burrier was able to glean from those, those losses and disappointing situations. All right, so let's go to the position you know so well and, and of course, the, the depth that Florida has at wide receiver. Uh, do they need that one guy to, to, to be that one, one guy who kind of separates himself from, from the others, or is the balance that they showed last year okay? Yeah, I think the interesting thing after spending some time with um, the coaching staff this spring was that he really has been – and it's not just the receivers, but I think the receivers is, is one of the, the groups that he made the – the um, the example of is that these guys now are, are figuring out their roles, and it's not necessarily uh, about um, having to, to to play 80 plays a game. They understand that they're more productive if they've got a rotation of eight guys that can roll in there, and they they're, they're playing 40 plays. And you're seeing contributions on special teams. I mean, last year one of the reasons why um, they were as successful as as what they were in uh, in, in punting was because of the utilization of, of some of those fast guys at the receiver position as gunners and getting down the field and, and being able to cover kicks. And I think that, that um, that's one of the things that, that, 
that these guys are now understanding is it's not about quantity, it's about quality reps. Um, obviously, I, you'd love to see uh, some guys maybe step up and, and, and take the lead in terms of who the, the go-to receiver is. And uh, we got some, some glimpses of some guys that, that might be up for that this year during the spring game. But I think you're going to see a lot of different guys getting a lot of snaps, a lot of guys getting opportunities to, to make catches. And um, the, this, this receiving squad reminds me a lot of, of ours in the 90s where there's, very, there's a lot of great depth, there's a lot of guys that, that can make plays, and they have skill sets that complement one another. And, um, you know, that, that's what you want is guys that, that as a whole are a, a really complete wide receiver unit. Uh, so I know as an SEC Network analyst, you have to kind of still look at the whole team, but I, I know you still key in on those receivers. Uh, is, is there anything that can improve on uh, this wide receiver core? Yeah, I, I was disappointed last year with the way that these guys separated in man coverage. I mean, it, the, the key as a, as a receiver, if teams are going to play you with a single high safety, you've got to be able to win on the outside. And a lot of times guys were not able to separate um, at the top of the route corners were sitting on them uh they, they weren't physical enough so I, I think that's what i look forward to and i think billy gonzalez is a really good receiver coach when it comes to to teaching the the technical points of, of playing that position and i think they'll get better at that but that's what i want to see from them is is being able to separate against uh man coverage particularly press coverage and then catching the ball a little bit more with the hands out in front of them i think a lot of times um there were some some guys that were inconsistent in terms of catching the football with their hands uh, those are two things I expect to see a, a market improvement on this year with another year of tutelage there from uh, from Billy Gonzalez. Former Gators wide receiver Chris Doring, an SEC Network analyst. Uh, he's joining us here uh, on Gators Breakdown. Uh, of course, the wide receiver group certainly depends on uh, Felipe Franks taking the next step. And Christmas, but behind Tua and Fromm, there's a group of SEC quarterbacks that can be slotted behind them in any order you kind of feel comfortable with. Uh, there's enough reasons to be excited about Felipe Franks, given how he finished last season, uh, and as he gets more familiar with Dan Mullen's offense. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Felipe is that he he finally figured out that he could be effective, not as, as more than just a passer. And I think that's what you know, Dan Mullen talked about it from day one when he came in to, to Gainesville. Is I'm not asking for an adept runner; I'm asking for a willing runner. Uh, and it's really, I think people like to to try to make football more difficult than what it is. It's, it's nothing more than go where they ain't, right? It's like backdoor football. Coach Furry used to talk about it all the time. You know, if, if they're going to load the box with, with extra guys to defend, then we're going to throw it on the outside because we're going to have favorable matchups. If they're going to drop a, a second safety back, if they're going to they're spread everybody out, then we're going to you know, run with our quarterback where we have an advantage. And, and I think that's the thing you saw it against, particularly against Michigan. I mean, it was, it was masterful. Um, the, the formational design of that game plan, what they were doing to manipulate Michigan's defense and for them to show their hand as what, what they were doing. And then Felipe got to the line of scrimmage and, and, and just nothing more than, than figured out where they were and where they weren't and, and, and you know, audible the plays or had, had the uh, adjustments on to take advantage of, of going where they weren't. And I think that's one thing that, that Felipe, in addition to understanding the offense better, in addition to, you know, understanding that Dan, Dan Mullen said it's not terrible to, to take an underneath throw, to, to work through your progressions a little bit more, to not force it down the field when it's not there, uh, but also that he can be a, not only a, 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 a willing runner, but a guy that, that finishes physically. I thought down in the red zone, a short yardage situation last year, 
when Felipe figured out how big he was and what he's able to do with that size and strength, that he became a really difficult ball carrier to tackle. Chris, we've uh, uh, lately on Gators Breakdown have looked at the offensive line, and of course we know they replaced four uh, starters from last season. I've really concentrated on that group uh, in, in the last week or so. Uh, are we making too much about having to replace four offensive linemen from last season? Brett Hagee's coming back, who brings back a lot of experience uh, as well. If he can stay healthy, him and Buchanan, you'll bring a whole lot of experience to an otherwise inexperienced offensive line. But uh, you know, just kind of looking at it broad strokes here, is there too much being made of losing four, four starters from last year? First of all, I love Brett Hagee. I'm very hopeful that he can stay healthy because I think his contributions have been minimized some because of those injuries that he's dealt with the last couple seasons. So that's one of the keys to, to this season in transitioning uh, with all the losses on the offensive line is having him healthy because he's a guy that can play multiple positions on the line. Um, but I think, I think he can make an argument for, for both ways. Losing four guys uh, from that offensive line that were experienced starters that had played a bunch of snaps for Florida is not ideal. But I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that was the the, the best offensive line either. I think they got better. I think that that, that the game plan did a nice job of playing to their strengths and and minimizing their deficiencies. But I I think it's not necessarily going to be the devastating loss that it, it you know that it was to Auburn. I mean, look at Auburn last year. They lost four starters from the previous season, and, and it changed their whole dynamic. They weren't able to run the football. They got better at the end of the year. But I, I think you know, with the right um, chemistry during during the summer and, and and fall camp, that this can be an offensive line that sometimes it might might actually be addition by subtraction if you can get the right pieces in there and have those guys understand what the expectation level is. Yeah, I always go back to you know this is their this is their second year with Nick Savage and and John Hevesy. So while they, you know, while they are inexperienced overall, they do have experience in the in the system and and, and you know figuring out what Dan Mullen and John Hevesy expect. Yeah, I mean that's huge, and we talked about it at the beginning of the interview. Is that knowing what to expect when you walk into the weight room with Nick Savage, knowing what not only what 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 to expect when you walk in there, but knowing what the hard work and executing his program is going to do for, for your body physically. I mean, I think it's huge. With, with Coach Hevesy, I talked to him during the spring, and he, he, he talked about just going back to the basics. With so many of these guys, particularly what I think four true freshmen that are going to be vying for playing time on the offensive line, he had to go back and, and, and break it down to the, the, the lowest common denominator, which is, you know, stance, start, you know, the, 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 the hand placement. Every little thing he just couldn't take for granted that they knew because these guys are, are so new. And, 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 you know, having played in high school, it's a, it's a big jump to playing in the SEC. So I, I think that's going to be one of the challenges is um, figuring out who those guys are, who the young guys are that are ready to play, that are going to be able to give you the reps that you need. But um, I think it's also a challenge that uh, Coach Hevesy is, is excited about. You know, I saw a little bit of, uh, energy and, and uh, twinkle in his eyes when we started talking about it. It is something that, you know, it's a much different situation than it is when you've had guys in that group for, for three or four years and they're veterans that have been through install three times a year for three seasons um, as opposed to what these guys are going through now. So I think the fact that, that um, there are so many new guys is actually something that's going to make Coach Hevesy coach a little harder and, and, uh, and not take anything for granted. 
Chris, you and I joked before we uh, came on here that SEC Media Day is just a few weeks away. Kind of hard to believe that it's already around. And we'll take a couple looks before I let you go of a, kind of some hot topics, of course, that we'll we hear about while we're in Hoover, Alabama. And uh, your thoughts on Georgia uh, and how much of a how much is Florida a threat to the Bulldogs this year? It's interesting, isn't it? Because before Dan Mullen got here, you know, Florida coming off a four and seven season, Georgia stacking number one recruiting classes on top of one another. I, I was thinking at the time, I think it was uh, Kirby's second year coming off of the national championship appearance, that, hey, this thing could get away from Florida, and it's going to be a long time before they're able to catch up with all the hay that Georgia's making right now. And then you get to Jacksonville there at the end of October, and it's a one-possession game with Florida and Georgia there into the fourth quarter. So I, I, I don't think the gap is as far as what it could have been if they hadn't hired the right guy. I don't think the gap is as far as, as um, you know, what a lot of people think. And if not for a couple, you know, they, they missed the flea flicker on the first play of the game. They missed a couple other plays, turned it over um, a couple times. If not for a few plays here or there, Florida could have won that game last year. So I think it took away a little bit of that veil of invincibility in Florida's mind as they looked at Georgia and said, hey, we, we can play with these guys. And um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if both Florida and Georgia can handle their business during the, during the months of August, September, and October and meet in Jacksonville undefeated. I mean, this might be the most anticipated Florida-Georgia game in a long, long time. Now, you picked Kentucky last season as a surprise team in the SEC, and you, and you really hit on that. Who's the team you're watching for this season? It's Missouri. Um, you know, if we're talking about under-the-radar teams, it's the uh, Tigers from Como. Uh, I think I, I look at what Missouri's done with the addition of Kelly Bryant. A lot of people could, could talk about this bowl ban from the NCAA as being a negative thing, and certainly if it's not overturned, it, it is a negative. But I think there's also some positives that can, uh, can come from that, and that's the bond that's created there, the loyalty. There's a bunch of upperclassmen that could have transferred by NCAA rules once they were put on – postseason ban and every one of those players decided to stay because of their commitment to Barry Odom because of the commitment to the uh to the program in general and I think that it's going to be something that galvanizes this team and if you look at their schedule it's a very manageable schedule this year I mean it it, they could be undefeated heading into their their game against Georgia so um you look at their cross division rivals I don't have it pulled up here but it's one of the easier Arkansas is obviously their they're every uh, every year rival from the West, and I believe they get, oh uh, man, one of the other one of the other lower tiered West teams too. So I think the favor the schedule is rather favorable for them, and I do think that they have a lot of talent, uh, particularly on that offense surrounding Kelly Bryant. Uh, last thought from you, Chris, and you never got to play uh, Miami in your, Miami in your days at, at Florida, but it's still you know an in-state rival that's garnering a lot of attention, especially since the game has been moved up a week uh, to kick off the season in 150 years of college football and ESPN. Uh, we talked about handling expectations this season. Well, you know it, it starts there in Orlando the first week of the season. I tell you what, that's one of the most disappointing things in my Florida career is not getting an opportunity to play Miami. Uh, both of my, my parents are from Miami. Both of them went to the University of Florida. During my, my formative years growing up, obviously a huge Gator fan, we went to every home game, but we also went to every Florida game against Miami down in the Orange Bowl. And I remember you know, some of those great teams of the mid-'80s playing one another and uh, just really disappointed that I never had an opportunity to, to take part in that game. I mean, this is the season, this is what it's supposed to be, where the three big teams from the state of Florida all playing one another, 
to figure out who the, who the best program is. And uh, what a great way to, to start the year. What a great way, as you said, to kick off the 150th anniversary of, of college football. A um, lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of special stuff surrounding that, that game. And the thing that I, I hope to see from Florida is a lot of poise, being able to handle that. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety leading into uh, any opener of the season, particularly playing on that stage against Miami. But I know in talking with a lot of the players and coaches, they've all been pointing to that game as, as one that they're really excited about. A lot of the reps that they're uh, taking in the weight room are, are, are for that game. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing not only where – where Florida is, but I think this is a great gauge for where Manny Diaz has that that, that program right now. I, I mean, it's um, you know he, he certainly seems like the right fit to get them back to to where they expect to be, and uh, I think it's going to be the storylines, including you know Manny Diaz having coached for uh, Dan Mullen and, and and being released of his duties when they were at Mississippi State. I think there's just so many different storylines that we'll be able to uh, talk about as we lead up lead up to August 24th. Yeah, given where Florida came from, you know, four and seven, and then Mullen taking over uh, to end last season by beating FSU and, and Michigan in a bowl game, finally getting, you know, but you've played Michigan a lot lately. So being able to finally beat those two teams and then turn around the, the opening game of, uh, of the next season to beat Miami, that's a three game stretch there that uh, uh, Dan Mullen can flex on a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is. It's amazing, again, how far this program's come uh, from that four and seven season with the embarrassment. In that year of, of, of Michigan kicking off the year, I, I was talking with somebody today, in fact, about you know, how these, these opening games at these uh, neutral sites against big-time Power 5 opponents can, can be great or they can be terrible. And everybody that traveled to Dallas for that, uh, that kickoff against Michigan a couple years ago experienced the disappointment that can go along with that. But I think this is a, this is a different season, different uh, coaching staff, different group of players. And as you mentioned, they've got to have a lot of confidence after the way they ended last season, going to Tallahassee, owning the Seminoles there, beating up on Harbaugh's Wolverines in, in Atlanta. Uh, that's the way you want to finish the season and certainly the way you want to um, you know, kind of set the expectation for what the program should be able to do and, and, and what can do in 2019. All right. That's Gators wide receiver great Chris Doring and SEC Network analyst as well. You can catch him on uh, SEC Network Radio as well on Sirius XM. Chris, I can't uh, thank you enough for joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Always great to be with you, man. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. A little bit different, a lot of sound, a lot of interviews here, uh, but just trying to, you know, as, as summer months co- come around, uh, just trying to do some things uh, a little bit different. Uh, Will Miles is out, uh, you know, doing some work. So we'll change it up a little bit, get some uh, – players Chris Doring has been on here before but it's time to kind of bring him in again and the SEC media days are all rolling around pretty soon there and uh you know Anthony Richardson was just here in town in Jacksonville so a perfect opportunity for us to uh to get up and close with him so hey let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown go leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcast or, or leave a comment on YouTube uh, however you can leave a comment or review a rating do so please uh it really helps us out here uh on Gators Breakdown I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.